I'm staring at a picture of, of Will looking kind of thoughtful and Alex with rays, God rays coming from behind his head. <laughs> oh, that's man. Now, I was trying to uh, give myself a, a creepy photo because if you look at like my uh, my shirt, the collar's all ragged and all that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty choice. <laughs> I just thought you were trying to make yourself look like one of those stained glass pictures of one of the martyrs. <laughs> uh, you may be ragged and beaten down, but you've got divine light upon you. Oh, I, I wasn't even going for that, but that was pretty good. Great. Um, obviously, we're going to give you a chance to talk about Ingeniero, probably, during the first half. And then... We'll just talk about whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, I'm actually I'm sick of talking about it. Really? <laughs> I'm I'm up to the stage where I figure like it just uh, it's it's flogging a dead horse to to keep mm. banging on about it. And uh, if if people play it and they like it, then someone other than me might say something about it. But right. Uh, you know, if if it's just me going, hey guys, play my game. This is about the game. Play my game. Oh, come on, guys. Play my game. This is about my game. Right. <laughs> right. Everybody concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll sound you'll sound like a regular Luke Crane if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you're never gonna let up on Luke Crane, are you? <laughs> I did. I did a podcast um, uh, last week. Well, I kind of did a podcast last week. Uh, Ryan Shelton's role for news. Yes. Right. And. Um, uh, he, we had a really bad connection and I had kids running around the place and stuff. So we knocked that on the head halfway through because mm. we were just losing the, losing the comms every couple of seconds. And then, so I just did a kind of a monologue on my game mm. sitting in bed one night and sent that to him. So I think he's going to, he's going to, uh, publish that. And then I read just a couple of days ago, Dan Marushchak. Um, complaining about people doing boring monologues on their games. Yeah, um, you saw that too, huh? <laughs> this is great timing. <laughs> you know, I read that and I was like, man, is Dan Maruschak complaining about the interview we did with Kyle Simons? I can't uh, tell with Dan because he's always a little passive aggressive. So it's like, is he talking about me or is he talking about someone else? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that that that's a, it's a good um, it's a good strategy because it keeps everybody guessing. I mean, once he names names, the kind right. of mystery is over. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, my biggest beef uh, with the whole uh, Luke Crane thing is just because he had to, uh, he had the gall to even, like, contemplate uh, the D&D model where you had to pay to subscribe for, 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 you know, for trivial shit. That, that, that was the only, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, crap. All right, yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much out of the loop on a lot of the, uh, any, pretty much any role-playing game that was uh, published between 2000 and 2010, just about. It's kind of passed me by. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, uh, that's um, a lot of, uh, of indie games, at least. Yeah. I played a lot. I played a lot um, in probably early '90s. I played a lot of role-playing games, and then I kind of gave it, like, got a bit stale, and I got interested in other things, and uh, didn't really come back to it until five or six years ago. I played a lot of third edition D and D, and then I pretty much 
put that on the shelf. Uh, when fourth edition came, well, when 3.5 came out, I was already getting kind of jaded. And then fourth edition came out, and I said, fuck it. I'm just going to basically play indie games or come up with my own stuff. And Rudy was getting really into game design at that point. So that's when we started uh, making games about crazy perverts and genocide and stuff. <laughs> um, and how's, how's that going? Like, I, I haven't had a chance to play any of your games much to my shame, but I, I, I will get around to it. Uh, basically, no one has. <laughs> I mean, we get... There are a few people who are subscribing to the site, and we get comments and stuff, and uh, we've had a few articles pop up in blogs, but it's all been in, like, Polish and Norwegian and, like... European blogs, and none of them are written in English, and I have to run them through Google Translate and see what the hell they're talking about. Well, that's interesting, because, um, like, Ingeniero has had, uh, what, 20 sales, something like that, 20. Mm. <laughs> um, and I would say probably 12 or 13 of those have been from European buyers. I, I feel like... Even though there's a pretty robust market for, well, you know, it's actually very small. But anyway, even though there's a market for indie games in the U.S. and in English-speaking countries, I feel like that market really orbits around a few titles in a way that the other European markets, the Norwegian games and the uh, gamers and, and all that, don't. I feel like in America, you kind of have to be... I don't know, I, it seems to function differently, and they seem to have less respect for innovation and also with dealing for dealing with subject matter that doesn't fall very strictly into certain genres. Hmm. Yeah, if it, if it isn't uh, fantasy or science fiction, it probably doesn't do too well. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, anyone before we like start recording so anyone have some idea of what you want to talk about or do you want to just oh are we recording this perhaps perhaps alex i, I, alex thought, I thought this everything. was talking shit <laughs> <laughs> okay three two one recording yeah recording <laughs> <laughs> this is mom's basement podcast <laughs> episode 59 Alex awkwardly tries to fill in for Rudy edition. Right, where we ask Steve the most important question ever. If the Rusak gamers bought wallaby scrotum sacks, how big are normal kangaroo scrotum sacks? Uh, I don't really want to be known as an expert on that <laughs> subject matter. <laughs> I'd say, like, you know, a big handful. <laughs> Just a, a solid, like, man's hand full of scrotum is what you're saying. Okay. So, it, as you probably noticed, we've got a new voice on the podcast tonight, and that's Steve Mathers from of Ingenero fame. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the fact that I was the only one who didn't laugh incredulous, incredulously at the word fame being attached to Ingenero. Hey, it is famous in my heart. Well, I mean, I will tell you this, Steve. 
Engineero has to be more famous than Mom's Basement Podcast. Now, Steve, you said you didn't really want to talk too much about Engineero, but I did want to at least put a little promo at the beginning of the podcast here uh, because Engineero is out. We have played it twice. Well, I've played it twice. Alex has played it once. I thought it did a really fantastic job at generating fiction on the fly and at having mechanics that actually generated the fiction instead of having suggestions in the book about how you should be playing the game, you know, about the kind of story you should be telling. So anyway, so anyway, Steve, did you want to uh, pitch that? Well, uh, well, just in, in terms of what you were just saying, um, because I was kind of coming to terms with, because uh, all of this like forge stuff and you know, the ability to actually um, think critically about role playing was new to me. I skipped. Like, I, I, I told. I was telling you guys earlier. I was playing a lot of uh, RPGs in the early '90s, and then I had a long hiatus from it until about five or six years ago. So I had to get up to speed on everything that had been happening during that time. And because I was learning uh, as I went designing this game... I'm sorry, uh, Steve, could you uh, do me a kindness and just hold on a second, because anything you're saying right now is being completely covered, because... Yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that. that. (laughs) You pretty much have to reset, like, as soon as you were talking about the Forge. Uh, Okay, so... um, well, what one thing the Forge did for me, even though I didn't really understand uh, Ron's, um, what, what would you call them, theories or ramblings, you can say that. Yeah, I didn't understand them. They're, they're pretty dense documents, yes. you know. Right. But uh, I was impressed that, like, here's a guy who's actually looking at role playing critically, and something that, for, for whatever reason, maybe because it was a game, I had uh, it hadn't occurred to me to do that before. So I started trying to get up to speed on all the theory and stuff. Uh, and that was about 2006 I discovered the forge. And then I was designing my game at the same time. And so I was writing to someone like myself who didn't really understand all the new theory and stuff. And so I was trying to put that into the mechanics. And so when I played it, I could see if that was working and then I was actually getting the type of game that I wanted to get. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I didn't yeah. have the knowledge, so I was I was uh, aiming the game at myself, someone who didn't really know what they were trying to do at the time. Well, and I, I think theory is only valuable insofar as it's functional, you know, as insofar as it's applicable, as you can take it and apply it to the game that you're designing, and and that's how I feel about uh, Ron's stuff. You know, I I read some of it, I skimmed it. And I basically picked out the stuff that I felt like, oh, hey, I can see that in my gaming group. And now I understand a little better about why that was functioning the way it is. Mm, and but, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, like, all of those those theories, uh, he definitely knows what he's talking about. Um, oh, absolutely. I don't know if he explains it that well to – well, I didn't feel like – it's explained that well to people who are coming into it cold. You just look at mm. it and you just go, what? what? Right. Who? <laughs> It's dense. It's dense. But yeah, I, I think um, playing in Gennaro, you can see some of that theory in practice, though. Or at least you can see you can see that kind of purposefulness that Ron looks for. 
or that I mean I think if there was one guiding principle and I could be wrong here because as I said I didn't read it too deeply but it, if there was one guiding principle of the forge and of Ron Edwards work it was that that need to design with clarity and purpose in mind you know that need to design almost from a um, objective and goal-oriented framework to say this is what I this is the problem that I'm trying to solve with my game. This is the problem that I'm trying to address with my design. And I feel like Ingenero does that remarkably well. I mean, it addresses the big problem of how to create a game that actually generates interesting stories. Yeah, that's true of all design. Like, you know, if you haven't got a clear, if you're not clear on what you're trying to do, if you're not looking at it critically, then you're just going to get a muddle a derivative model, but uh, yeah, it, not just role-playing games. And when I first came to the Forge, that's what struck me. It's like, hang on, yeah, of course you can apply same you know design principles to role-playing games as anything else. But for some reason, just hadn't kind of occurred to me until I hit the Forge. Right, and I think part of that, the reason why it hadn't occurred to people, and why it still continues not to occur to some people, is people are very unlike other types of games, unlike other genres, um, RPGs are very much a, you know, a show with only one star, you know, it, it, it's a genre, it's a, it's a medium dominated by one game, you know, by one product. D&D has so defined the way that people imagine role-playing games that people always kind of start from that point when they're designing. You know, they think, oh, well, or well, now maybe they start from Pathfinder or White Wolf, but all of those things came very, very much came out of the de design principles of D&D and out of, out of uh, so, so everyone, it's very inbred, you know, all of this design is coming from this one root, from this one ancestor. And so I think people tend to look back and say, oh, well, I'm designing this way, because I played D&D &D and it was like this. Yeah, the fantasy heartbreaker sort of deal. Right, exactly. To get it back to Ron, exactly, the fantasy heartbreaker thing. My, my fantasy heartbreaker was based on uh, RuneQuest. I, I think actually, like, um, like from my perspective at least, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, because, you know, role-playing is, is mainly language-based, because, you know, you have to talk to other people. And... Um, a large problem with uh, with language is it's very ro romanticized based on on the person's uh, interpretation of it. Mm. Like there's many trigger words that are linked to actual like feelings and stuff like that. And because of those situations, uh, people tend to compartmentalize like every aspect of you know things that they see on a regular basis. Mm. And so, like, when you see something like, you know, when we were talking about uh, magicians, when you see something like language as a, as a game, I've actually seen, like, like, I, like when I was saying before, when we, when we talked to him, we actually, uh, I actually remember a, a few games that were done for ESL classes that are RPG, very close to RPGs. So it wasn't that, it wasn't really that innovative, because, I mean, it still is, because, you know, not, not a lot of people have actually seen it, but... It's it's mainly because no one really thought about like including something that's that's so practical because you know 
there's kind of, it's kind of like a, like just like a deity up uh up in RPG mm. when when really you should be able to like look at it for what it really is and then that that's what I'm saying I I, I think a large of it has to do with with romanticizing the uh, the social aspect. Yeah, you were saying something interesting about language and the way that, uh, and this may be going in a different direction that, than you intended, but you were talking about how the language that we use, because of the romantic nature of language, tends to maybe even obstruct the mechanics. Oh, yeah, because, um, sorry, I, I, just, I, I just remember that. That's why... Like when like I read like a lot of RPG books, there's actually a lot of um, there's a lot of um, assumptions made on style of play. You know, uh, it re- reminds me of a Kurt Vonnegut story. Well, he Kurt Vonnegut shoehorns these little like science fiction scenarios into some of his novels, and um, and he has this fictional science fiction author character who writes these scenarios. But anyway, my main point is one of those scenarios involves this imaginary culture that lives on this distant world where language over time turns into music so and people have to concoct new words just to prevent it from being from it just turning into noise from it just turning into ambient noise turning into music so they have to com- totally reinvent their language every few years just to preserve the meaning in it and they have to create uglier and uglier words that are harder and harder to turn into music and i i get the feeling that in some ways rpg design is where it works a similar in a similar way you know that because the mechanics are often written within a within the frame of a um of a text that also is full of flavor text you know is full of atmospheric content is full of uh you know is full of setting is full of play examples is full of like monsters you might encounter in the game or whatever that it becomes hard to differentiate that the mechanics tend to blend in with all of the other aesthetic text and with all the musical text all the stuff that's there that's just ambient noise and i feel like some people in the community one way they've been pulling away from that is to make the language uglier and uglier <laughs> so that it will stand out more and more or to strip the text really bare so that only the rules are there, you know, only the mechanics are there. And I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but... <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> but, but I wonder, what, what do you do? I mean, how do you address that? How do you, address, how do you make the mechanics feel like they're still part of a, the game but keep them distinct and clear enough that they don't get muddled up with all of the all the other cute shit that you throw in a book. Um, well, I, I mean, I think you need you'd probably end up needing all of that, um, mm-hmm. all the ambient noise. That that's it's it's like if you sit down to read a really dry, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, academic text or something. Unless right. you're really into that subject and you, and it's really uh, appealing to you. If you're just coming at it from a well, let's see what this has to say, kind of thing. You're just going to throw it away, right? Um, and so people respond. You know, people respond to stories and examples much more than they respond to uh, dry academic texts. I guess right. they're, they're willing to keep you, to keep reading. So it's 
it's a it's just a hard line to do and i and like my engineero is is basically just a dry academic text it's got no flavor pictures and and i mean i tried to throw in the examples as as much but right. another thing about it which is just unappealing uh, but when you're doing a generic system you know that's the kind of that's a that's an extra hurdle yeah this generic system thing, and uh, you know, before I jump into that, I'm gonna let Alex talk because I feel like I've been talking over Alex a lot. <laughs> Actually, I think we've been not including Steve as much as possible. I've just got Alex's image, Skype image, staring at me with God rays behind his head. This is for the audience, so don't cut <laughs> this out. And he's just got this "you are so full of shit" expression on his face, like for the whole podcast. Oh. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, picture is worth a thousand words, and your know, words are very romanticized. So I can see how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, like I think like a good example of um, like what I what 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 I was really feeling about this because uh, I, I want to clarify it. Like, you know, when uh, when we were talking about like you know what Ron was uh, you know saying for like some of his stuff, because uh, I actually have taken a, a gamble or two trying to trying to interpret what he actually meant, um, because he would also do the same thing that most people generally tend to dislike and that is use colorful words to actually explain what he really meant and usually also use offensive words to get catch a hold of people to strike uh, like a chord in them and maybe like break their barriers ron edwards used offensive language he called people brain damaged. Uh, oh, yeah, that's why right. he, he he would he would use coded phrases just so he could strike a, a nerve in people and get them to pay attention. It might might also be for his own benefit because he's probably been trying to explain his role playing theories for over a decade, like a yeah. like a band playing the same song. They just want to spice it up. <laughs> but but, right. that, but that's what I'm saying though. The the entire purpose of saying stuff like that is to 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 say something offensive so people will pay attention. I mean, it's like saying uh, like the word rape. Like, what's 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 the only thing you're gonna you're gonna think about? Rudy's next game coming soon. <laughs> you're you're either gonna think of the inter- of the interpretation of it, like you know the, the the normal culture version of what people use, or you're gonna use the actual textbook book version of the word. And so, when someone says brain damage, they're gonna think you're all retarded. You know, things like that. They're not gonna think of actual like. You've been uh, bludgeoned inside the head with it, or you know things like that. It's like that's why I was getting like you know, color, you know, it, because you know, language is that that way. It's very important to uh, to, to to cut out the noise when you're trying yeah. to create something new, at least. Right. Well, and th- and that's tricky, right? Because words like that, as you're saying, there's the common usage, and then there's the clinical usage. And Ron Edwards might be thinking of the clinical usage. Or he might be thinking of his own self-defined usage, you know, that he's created, created. He might be thinking in the context of how he defined it at the beginning of his essay, which is a very academic thing to way to think about something. And I remember from my brief period as a grad student, it's like, well, define your terms at the beginning, you know, establish your terms. But even if you do at the beginning of your essay establish this term means this, racism means this in this essay. You still have to deal with the fact that people are thinking of the clinical usage of that term. Like, oh, brain damage means, you know, that I've 
got some kind of physiological problem in my brain. And also the common usage of that term, oh, brain damage means, as you said, they're retarded. So, it's, yeah, it, you have to be very careful about the language that you use. Yeah, that's all I wanted to get at. It's just that I, I think it's pretty interesting when, when people when people do that thing because you can definitely tell with people who are uh, of our intelligence. And, you know, that's not to, to brag or anything like that. It's just that there's a certain focal point. I thought you were being self-deprecating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. Um, but anyways, uh, b- because there's a certain mindset with uh, most people who play uh, RPGs and such. Um, it's very important to understand that because, like, um, there could be problems since uh, there's quite a few sensitive people in, in, you know, who actually who play games. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to get back to the generic RPG thing, and I know we're hopping all over the fucking place, but who cares? One thing that has really watching Ingenero evolve and watching the response to Ingenero and sometimes the lack thereof. One thing that has really fas- fascinated me is the way that so many people have been willing to dismiss the game because it has a generic system. And I don't know if you wanted to jump into that, Steve, at all, but... Um, yeah, I guess it's... Well, it, it, is just, uh, it is just another generic system, I guess. Um... But it's an exceptionally good one, in my mind. And it seems like that stigma is um, strange. Like I made a mistake from a marketing point of view in that uh, I could have taken, you know, we were talking previously about the the red ocean, blue ocean thing. And a generic game is definitely a red ocean offering, Uh, at least at first, you know, if if you're just having a first glance at it, oh, generic system. Okay. I know where to put that now. Um, but if if I like Robin Laws has got uh, um, uh, his drama system. If he had have just released that, maybe as a oh no that that that's actually a bad example because the drama system the whole drama system thing is pretty blue ocean. It is pretty like you know he's 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 aiming for something specific there. Mm. Um, Plus he's famous. I, I had have came up with uh, a unique situation and setting and just attached. Engineero to that and just sold the situation and setting, then I probably would have um, done a lot better. Like the, and then you know, the system was was really what I was aiming at for the design, but in terms of it wasn't the main thing. Just and then come up with a, a really unique situation and setting. Uh, that's hard to do as well. So <laughs> right, right. It's been done almost, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. I mean. I guess what bothers me, though, one thing that bothers me is that so many of these unique experience games are really, in many ways, a repackaging of existing um, material. You know, it seems to me that there's something uniquely ambitious about saying that I am creating a generic system that is totally different than existing generic systems, that exist to accomplish a unique goal. And... And that can st- and that can still be used to tell the story you want to tell and the setting that you want to tell it, versus saying, "Hey, look, I took this rule set that everyone is familiar with. Maybe it's Apocalypse World. Maybe it's oh, I don't know, Apocalypse World, and I combined it with this 
setting material that is very much like this existing game. You know, maybe I threw in, uh, well, I, you didn't throw in post a post-apocalyptic setting because that's apocalypse world already, but, you know, maybe you threw in something that was basically White Wolf or threw in something that was basically Dungeons and Dragons, you know, or whatever. And the fact that that can be marketed so much more easily, that act of mix and match. And in, in both of those instances, by the way, maybe it was the mixing and matching was done particularly well. But the fact that that is such an easy sell when something that is totally unique and remarkably ambitious isn't kind of eats at me, you know? That's just the reality of it. It is. Um, but, I mean, you guys... Um with your uh, misery tourism, mm -hmm. you're trying to, um, I guess, give people unique blue ocean type experiences. Um, do you agree? Like, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a blue. Well, it, I don't know what you want to call it. It's more like a, uh, I don't know, a black ocean strategy. <laughs> in, in the, I mean, in that people are worried about swimming in the water because they're like, boy, what's in there? Like, is that oil? Is that, you know, is that water contaminated? Am I, are there eels in there? Am I going to be attacked? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. In the strictest sense, that's a blue ocean strategy. I mean, at least in the way that we decided to market it, we're like, well, why don't we we've already created a few games that are probably kind of offensive in their content and instead of trying to sell those games as oh hey look this is like D&D &D, except uh you know except you might end up lynching a black guy thinking that he's a vampire uh instead we said well why don't we just focus on that offensive content why don't we just be upfront about the fact that these games deal with uh you know, human misery in awful situations. I don't know that that's necessarily succeeded for us. I think that in some ways um, that content might have been a little bit too blue in multiple senses of the term, you know, for some people. But Yeah, well, I guess, you know, coming up with the unique niche strategy that nobody else is going there is the first part. But then... People have got to realize that they want to go there, so right, uh, right. Maybe they don't. Right. Well, and I mean, this is definitely like don't go there territory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, you can't lead a horse to water kind of thing. I mean, I, I joke around, but I am pretty happy with the response that we have received, even though it hasn't been huge. I mean, we have been covered by a few um, European gaming blogs. There's a Polish gaming blog that has covered us a few times and. A French gaming blog covered one of Rudy's games, and and there's been a few little conversations here and there in the community about it. And considering the content, uh, I'm pretty satisfied with that. And we'll see what happens when it's time to maybe launch a Kickstarter or something. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'll definitely be keeping track on how it all turns out. Yeah, Alex, did you have anything else? You, another topic you wanted to bring up? We're really hopping all over the place tonight but i know it's pretty evident that we have nothing to discuss actually i i, I did want to get uh get back to the uh, well, you know what you were uh, talking about before about you know packaging um that kind of stuff because 
Yeah, because like the the five um, you know play sets that uh, you you have included uh, with the book. Because even though this is not really, we're not really going to be like interviewing you about the game per se. It's just that that's what you got going for you, and we don't know much much else about you. Uh, I mean, if you told us about like you know your your long, beautiful like you know flowing mane, like you know if you told us about that or you know other stuff like uh, the uh, the spider you have the size of a chimney, you know. <laughs> if you said things about that, we would try and discuss that, but we only know about you in, in the game. Um, so so, anyways, what I was what I was getting at is, um, I like cheese. <laughs> what kind of cheese? Uh, I, I like green che- I like blue cheese and I like uh, uh, Italian cheese. I'm a big mozzarella fan myself. <laughs> Colby Jack. <laughs> so, with that in mind, um, why haven't um, you tried to to do that? Like, are you like waiting for like the initial um, the initial splash, the initial uh, you know splash against the cement kind of thing? Uh, before you try and do something like that, um, can you repeat the question? I kind of interrupted you in the middle of it, and then I lost what you were talking about. <laughs> Sorry. I tell you, these RPG guys—they can't pay attention with anything, right? Go right, on. Um, basically, what I was saying is, you you made the game. You had you know people help you with you know supplements and whatnot, you know for like play sets and such. Um, and you you said it yourself that the uh, you know. The, the public does not want generic systems because pretty much like the majority of people online for generic systems uh, experienced about 10 to 15 years worth of it during the uh, the 80s and 90s so that's why they're you know they're they're kind of sick of it why have uh, have you considered actually bundling your playsets like you know making a complete version of a book for that only um well those those five playsets on the website are included in the book. Well, I know they are included, but they're not. It, it's not the huge selling point. It's like it's like almost it. It feels like it's almost tacked on after yeah, you get it, done it, being it, the it, intro. It, it it definitely was tacked on, um, but it was also personally having these guys come on board and be enthousi- enthusiastic enough to write the playset, and then we'd chat about it and they'd ask questions about engineer that they didn't get and I'd listen to their play tests of their of their scenarios and that and that that was hugely important to me actually getting it finished the collaboration aspect um, why haven't I come up with some brilliant unique uh, setting and situation and then Tacked Ingeniero onto that. I don't know. It's a lot of work, and uh, <laughs> haven't, I haven't done it. I don't have the time to do it. And uh, right, you know, I mean, you can. Uh, it, it's definitely a great idea. <laughs> uh, same way, making a million bucks is a great idea. Right. <laughs> well, I, I meant more along the lines of like you know not having to make a unique one, but using the ones that are already there. Because like uh, I, I just has a good example. Um, there are actually are stuff like an RPG, like uh, drive-through, you know, things like that. There are several, you know, companies in quotes who have used a, uh, you know, a system they made up, and then they tacked something onto it that was, you know, semi-unique or whatever, or you know, their take on like that that theme. 
like uh, I remember there was that Frankenstein uh, boogie game yes. or something like that. What was it? It was the monster play, monster exploitation game. Yeah, um, that, that that was on a thread on story games when we were talking with people. Uh, and, uh, basically, it is a generic system. It's the setting and the flavor uh, attached to it um, made it you know made it worth taking a look at. And plus, the person put it for a dollar for a PDF, so it's kind of hard not to say no for that. Um, so yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is like I actually really like it. That's why you know I've uh, half-assedly attempt to you know to write one up myself. Uh, you know for you know for for your work, and. Um, I, I just think it'll actually do a lot better if, uh, because of the mindset of the marketplace. That's why I was just get. That's what I wanted to get at. Yeah, and you're totally right. And um, that that would be the next thing to do uh, in terms of trying to market the game. And also, that would be probably a lot more fun than than writing the system because writing the system is, uh, you know, it's fiddly and things have got to be revised and actually just sitting down and having some fun with banging out some kind of you know situation setting and all that sort of stuff that that would be fun to do well and and, and plus you're you're when when you're designing the game you're writing a game engine and if you don't if you know about video games writing the game engine is one of the most painful experiences for for you know a game engineer it's, it's, it's certainly not as much fun as, as talking about all the things that are going to happen, the nuts and bolts, that's for sure, yeah. Right. No, you're absolutely right, Alex, and, and, and I should, I, you know, that will be the next step. And if, if you want to <laughs> do that or help out with that, that would be great. <laughs> all right, well, then my, my, my attempt will be completed then. Like I said, I'm going to have it finished by the end of November. So you, you, can, you can take that to the bank, sir. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Another thought is as long as we're as long as we're trying to tell you how to market your own game, uh, I wonder if you well, would if have. It, I obviously need help. <laughs> and, and plus, I really I really just like talking about it. it was, it's it's really cool. It's 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 out of the many games we played, it was the one of the few actual attempts to do something that's new and not something I've seen before. It was also. Um, I have to say, out of the first batch of games that we did, that we played, uh, when we first started doing this, when it was when Mike was on the podcast, and it was a year or two years ago now, out of the first batch of games we got, I was looking at them, and there were a lot of concepts that jumped out of me right away. I mean, some people had, like, really great layout already, and I saw Engineero, and I opened it up, and I was like, boy, this is riddled with typos. <laughs> no attention has been paid to presentation. You know, well, whatever, we'll play it like all the other. The sad other. thing was that there was right. some attention paid to presentation. Sorry. But anyway, so we sat down and we played all of those games, that the initial batch of six or seven games. And after we were finished and we played all of them and reviewed all of them on the podcast, it was Ingenero. That was the game that really stood out to me. That was the good, ex- the really good experience that I had playing, and that was the game that I really wanted to see finished out of all of them. So it's that divide, you know, between presentation, between what kicks you in the face the first time he looks at it, and what I don't know to continue this awful metaphor, what continues to kick you in the face a year later. Uh, it's different. There's a 
there's a distinction there, and I think it's an important one. And I wish more people, I wish more people would give some of these little games a chance, would play them. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is a the cat the cat in the background and the and the um. No, 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 no. The, the cat was cheering you on. That was the point. <laughs> Shut up, Mr. Bones. Be quiet. Well, he was harassing my roommate, so they stuck him in my room, and now he's screaming. He is the most ill-behaved cat ever. <laughs> so you were getting at well. Hopefully, we did. He did, we did not distract you too much. Oh, I was just going to say that I wish more people would give these little games a chance, would sit down and play them once, and they might discover, you know, that uh, there's more game there than they anticipated. But there's something... Oh, shut up, cat! <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was all I was trying to say. Here, play with the napkin. Well, I know that's what uh, that, that's also what happened with, uh, with, with, with my scheme, you know, that we'll send it to them. I, I, I you know played it it worked well and uh it's just like that, that that was exactly what happened when uh you know when it when it came to like you know posting around saying hey you know take a look at this is pretty much everyone dismissed it and uh and and said really negative things on the dismissal like not not even talking about my presentation of you know me uh you know rambling for for, for the for you know the intro because I, I guess that was more like a representation of how I really felt uh, most of the other uh, Kickstarter or Indiegogo programs. Whenever there was a video, it sound, it always felt like they were rambling. Um, sure. But yeah, like when 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 I when I when I wrote that up, and uh, I actually saw the uniqueness that uh, came from it, and no one even attempted to really look at uh, what was really going on. Like you know, they didn't actually play it because if they actually tried it, they would have seen what really happened and. It's just a shame. That's all I have to say. And mm-hmm. and so I'm going to have to do exactly what I uh, you know I suggested to Steve, and and that's package it with something like you know, with something uh, for people to catch on to. Well, pre- presentation matters. It's like as much as um, people like I'm I'm not good at it, and I'm I'm a computer programmer by uh, by occupation, mm-hmm. and uh, currently I work in a small company. And we have the computer programmers sitting right next to the marketing guys. And there's this big divide and the computer programmers <laughs> sneer at the marketing guys. You guys are just good at talking shit, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, but, you know, we're both equally necessary. If the marketing guys don't do their job, then there's nothing to code because nobody wants it. So, right. Right. you know, you, as much as people like myself might have certain thoughts about the whole marketing, commercialization, blah, 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 whatever, it's absolutely necessary. And if you don't embrace it, then, or, or if you don't get, you know, if you're not good at it or you don't embrace it, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. And Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's true. It's absolutely true. I have a question for you, Will. Yes. Um, you often talk about Jeep form games, and even though I've read online definitions, it doesn't. Exp- I, I don't understand what that means. Jeep, um, Jeep is kind of a difficult thing to define. Uh, have you been to the website? I think it's jeepin.org. Nope. Okay. Well, 
remember. Well, for our listeners, it's J-E-E-P-E-N dot org, O-R-G. And there's a, somewhere on there, there's like a Jeep dictionary that goes through uh, what they call the Jeep Truths, which is basically a manifesto. It's got a list of different things that they consider the basic principles of what makes Jeep form Jeep form. Uh, but to try to simplify it, it's kind of like freeform role playing, you know, freeform, almost improv acting type stuff with a very strictly defined scenario. Uh, and there's also some elements of uh, it has a very specific way it handles like a GM role. It has a very uh, sort of sort of hands off kind of passive GM role thing that you, you can use in Jeep form too. But the big principles, the, the main thing is when people think of Jeep form, they think of a very, um, they think of acting style play, almost a, like a pseudo LARP kind of play and of these highly structured, highly specific scenarios that usually deal with more, mon not exactly mundane, but with more like contemporary, uh, life crisis kind of stuff like there's some deal with like reality tv and obesity and child abuse and things like that kind of uh human drama type of stuff so mi misery tourism games uh sound a little bit like that to me in some ways right um the major difference between most of our games and jeeps or the degree to which most of our games have some kind of real gamey element. Like, our games often use competitive mechanics, which is would be something that wouldn't be in Jeep. Often they'll use something like a game board, or they'll use dice, or they will, or our games will use, like, Rudy has a game that uses Pictionary. We use a lot of, like, real mechanics taken from board games or other RPGs. Whereas Jeep Form is, like, basically no mechanics it's like um you know as i said it's, it's more like acting more like back and forth they generally don't use dice or gaming mechanics yeah i think mechanics make things a little bit more accessible or yeah. unless like to be it sounds to me like to play jeep form games you'd have to be have everybody absolutely unashamedly on board to play that game Yes, you do. You do. Whereas, you know, with uh, games with, that are strong on mechanics, you can everybody can sit down and they can look at the mechanics and use that as a sort of a... A point of entrance. Yeah. Crutch. Uh, yeah. Right. Not crutch, but yeah, yeah, point of entrance, exactly. Um, that said, there is one Misery Tourism game that is technically a Jeep form that meets the criteria, and that's Dance Macabre, my... Uh, game about death which was one of the first ones we put up that's a jeep farm okay yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that actually is a pretty decent discussion there um because a lot of the stuff especially since you know we go to the uh, story games uh, to check things out every now and then there's a lot of larpers in story games clothing where um there there's a there's a lot of uh you know discussion talks like you know even debates sometimes of like how a game should be played, when really it, it, it's the far it's the far left talking about how games should be played, and it 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 seems kind of um, 
strange to have that conversation when um, you're either preaching to the choir or you're just pissing people off uh, based on uh, your interpretation of how games should be played versus like having a discussion of like what um, what brings constructive uh, play versus like, you know, like your style of play. Because like um, like my always my, my biggest hurdle with a lot of um, Jeep Forum games is because it's improv acting, there's a large percentage of people who are not really aware of how to actually do improv acting. Yeah, there's definitely skills involved in that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's skills involved in playing any RPG at all. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of us maybe have been playing for quite a while and we've unconsciously developed a lot of skills. And you learn, you learn most of your skills from the first... Uh, dozen or so games, people you play with, you just do what they do basically. Because when I don't know if you can remember the first time you stepped into a role-playing game and you're sitting there going, "What the fuck are these people doing? Is this fun? What am I doing?" So I'll just do what they do, and then uh, you know, sometime later you've developed these skills. Right. But right. It's only like one type of skill. Like maybe you you, you just know how to play. Uh, like a simi type of game or a D&D type of game or something. And then once you've done that, I think there's a, a fair bit of resistance to learning how to play different styles of game. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's difficult. Uh, and it is difficult to even to play a new game, or excuse me, to play the same game you've been playing all your life but with a new group of people. You can discover, oh, wow. I remember when, the first time when I went to college and uh, started playing and tried to play a session of Dungeons & Dragons with a group at the college gaming club, right? After having all through high school jammed my own games with my own group, which was Rudy and myself and one other guy and my sister, and discovering when I sat down at the table, like, whoa, these people play this game so differently than I've been playing it. It's the same game. It's Dungeons and Dragons third edition. It's the same game I've been playing for five or six years. Well, it was four or whatever years then. But they play it fundamentally differently. And it's like, whoa. And I didn't really want to play with them. I'm like, I don't want to play the game you're playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> How did they play it differently to, to what you were playing? Well, I... When I GM'd, I was very a very narrative-centric GM, a very story-centric GM. Like, basically, I had this long-running campaign that went on for 100 or so sessions, and each session was basically like an episode of a TV show. Like, you got, you had a, it was like a, um... You know, you had the same. You had a long, a bunch of recurring NPCs who came in and out. You had a story that was moving from session to session. Uh, people did a lot of talking in character as their character, and that was and a, and a whole bunch of time was spent on all of those things. And these guys like sat around and they rolled a bunch of dice and they, uh, you know, and, and they ate Cheetos, <laughs> and that was it. You know, and it was like, and there was a lot of t- talk about mechanics and a lot of like and very little in character anything and so that surprised me i guess oh yeah. right so they were they were approaching D from a like a, a much more gamey right type, right which i i like that style of playing D actually i like the i like the, the tactical squad based battling type of game but it, it's 
a lot different to other types of role playing. Because that's 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 ultimately like what I was getting. Because like I I was I'm not saying Jeep form is a bad thing. It's it, it doesn't really. It, it's some. It's one of those things where like it's not that I don't appreciate. You know, I don't know what's going on. It's just I I I see I see some problems with it that I don't like. I I'll I'll play one just fine. I mean, we we I I have played uh, some of your ex- experiments, Will. Um. <laughs> so I I I. I and I, and I I was able to to roll with it, um, and plus also like some of the other games we played are may, are uh, they were they were mostly free form, um, yeah. not not just not just Will and Rudy's stuff, um, so it, it's not that I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm against the actual concept of doing that, it's just more along the lines of knowing how to play like a simulationist game, and knowing how to um, say yes and or yes but. Anarcha style, right? Those still don't get to the main problem with uh um that that I always found with uh with with games in general, and that's the uh you know be a human being first, mm. because there's quite there's quite a few um scenarios of you know when everyone talks about bad games, they usually talk about um people. Uh, not being considerate to other to other to other players, like um, may, maybe they'll do something that's a pretty dickish move, because you know they're in character, bro, or um, maybe they're doing something that um, they don't realize is actually offensive at all, and um, or like taking away someone's agency because it fits the narrative of what they think the narrative should be, and that's also a skill. And, and that that's another skill entirely, but I don't even I, I, I rarely see that skill addressed in actual books. I, I see I see like the um the suggestions of what you should do when playing, but not how to actually, you know, conduct yourself in the game, um with any sort of like, you know, advice on like, hey, uh like for example, let's go like um with like with uh with uh with Vampire the Masquerade or something like that. There's quite a few oh no, sorry, Cthulhu. Cthulhu's better because there's so many things like so much random stuff that goes on in that game. Um you ne- you don't really see one piece of info in that book telling you um be careful with the uh, like the random shit you throw at people, like, you know, tentacles and all that kind of stuff. Because it could be like, you know, things that are so like when someone thinks horror, they don't immediately think of, you know, that kind of stuff. So you know, address your audience. You know, know what what their wants are. A, lo- a lot of stuff is like a given. And when I was getting, when I was when I was trying to get at with the uh, the Jeep forum there, is that I don't believe a lot of people are even though they're ex- they they may be experienced with like you know, the yes and kind of stuff, like the the normal uh, procedurals of that kind of gameplay, I don't think a lot of people are actually experienced with the uh, the human connection uh, with, with actual role-playing games. And that's also the same thing with, like, with, like, D&D and stuff like that, because a lot of the uh, bad game examples that I've actually uh, I've dealt with are people who are using D&D as a platform to tell their story, not to um, engage with the people around them and uh, create an, uh, like a narrative that uh, makes not only sense, but is actually like you know exciting for people to want to play. 
because like the two people, like the I have I have like three or four people that have uh, DM'd for me with like D and D, and two of them were really really boring, and one of them was very ca- uh, colorful with their characters, but weren't really engaging in with like an exciting plot line, you know things like that, and of course this is almost humble brag kind of thing, but when I, when I when it was my turn to step up to the helm, uh. Almost everyone was really excited because, like you know, they they really enjoyed the experience because a lot of the times, I was uh, throwing them into the into the um, in either the combat or the story whatever. I it, it was more like come along with in this with this adventure, um, versus like let me tell you a story. And I don't know if that's like because their experience or is was the same thing, and so this was refreshing to them or whatever. But I actually made the game about them versus you know the game about me and enjoy my and and, and hopefully you enjoy it you know i'm talking about that's what i was getting at is like mm-hmm. the type of um like for me i'm always that that's been my experience before i even play D D. is like like i'm very considerate of others you know i'm trying to you know <laughs> i'm very i'm very nice when they're nice to me and so i try to make people happy and so i i try to do what i think is what I th- I think they'll like, and I don't. I really haven't seen a lot of examples of many role players actually doing that as well. So that that's yeah. that's my only big beef with and, and like and, and the thing is like with mechanics. Uh, sorry, um, I'll just finish one last thing and then you you can go ahead. See, um, but the thing is like the thing I noticed like with mechanics is that there's less uh, focus on the person's agenda. And there's more of like a reference sheet of what you can or can't do. So that way, like it's regulated fun and Jeep forum is like unrestricted um, fun in quotes because, you know, a person different like like mechanics uh, make a certain they they focus on what kind of fun you're going to be having. Meanwhile, when it's free form, like everyone's opinion differs so much, you can't really you have to know your audience really well before you can have the kind of fun you really want to have. And that's my only gripe with it somewhat. If I, if I took a Jeep form uh, style of game, I, I haven't played with that many groups. I've probably only got about three semi-regular groups that I play with. And if I took a Jeep form game to any of them, they just would not be interested um, at all. And, um, the new skills. I mean, it, it sounds like it's 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 also more confronting to play that way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's all. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really got a point to make. I was just kind of. You don't really have to make a point. Just say just to say your opinion on it. That's all. Yeah. And and GMing is hard. It's. I find it really difficult myself. Uh, I don't like being the center of attention, uh, and public speaking kind of freaks me out. Um and when you're the GM, you're doing both basically various stages. And, um, it, it, it'd be, it'd be nice if there were more games out there. Like oh, I, I actually floated that idea, uh, some years ago on the forge. Like, can we make a game that actually teaches people, um, best practices or, right. you know, uh, you know, how to GM and, and, and fix up some of the common, uh, how to avoid some of the common problems you get with 
uh, games that just don't work or games that frustrate people like how Alex was saying. And But, yeah, that got shot down because people say, well, you know, who's best practices, blah, 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 and that's not going to work. And, uh, <laughs> well, that, that was usually how things went down on the forge. But I think Ingenero accomplishes that. I think Ingenero is a game that teaches best practices through play, personally. Um, yeah, it's very personal version. Like I was, I was telling you guys before, I was, I was kind of coming to grips with new ways to play and trying to learn and apply new skills. Uh, at the same time as designing the game. So I was speaking to myself mm-hmm. and writing mechanics that would reinforce what I was learning at the time. Um, yeah, so that, I was doing, I was trying to do that in a way, maybe not explicitly, but... Right. So the act of designing the game was almost a dialogue with yourself then about best practices. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, when I, the, the game that you first... I mean, you, you guys played it twice... And it changed right. a lot. I mean, almost 12 months apart. And I was working on it pretty actively for about two years. So obviously, where, where I start, what I thought was best practice when I started writing the game changed a lot by the time I got mm. to the end of the game. Um, and so I didn't really have that uh, firm idea of where I was going when I started writing the game. It just kind of was just really a process. Maybe that's that's another reason why I have trouble marketing the game because... I didn't start it out saying, I'm going to write a game about this, that, and that. Right. Um, which is generally a bad idea if you don't have a firm idea of what you, of where you want to go. That's, yeah, that's true. I mean, as a rule. I, I mean, I, I guess it's tricky, though, because sometimes games can seem overproduced, you know, and over, like um, sometimes it can seem like the opposite kind of happens that someone has some flash of inspiration like wow wouldn't this be a really cool pitch for a game and you read the pitch and you're like wow that is a really cool pitch for a game and then you start to play the game and you realize there wasn't much there beyond that versus a game that maybe doesn't have a pitch you know doesn't have a really strong pitch to begin with but that's because it's such a labor of love you know because because and there is so much in the mechanics you know so much diligent work there also what what i was uh feeling is sometimes when you're laying new groundwork there's nothing you can really do to say what it really is that's true well when you're in terra incognito you know it's terra incognito for a reason it's it's unexplored territory and you know whoever arrives there first gets to name it gets to decide what it is are you snickering, Alex? No, I'm I'm laughing because it's like you know you, you know you should you, you should instead of calling it Ingenero, you should call it Matherero because you get the name <laughs> for yourself. <laughs> Generate a few extra sales, I'm sure. People are going. There's hardly any math in this game. I don't understand. <laughs> now, are we going to be able, Alex Swingle? Are you going to be able to do your magic and turn this into a podcast? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're still not done yet. I mean, we can still do a few more things because, like, you know, I have to cut out, like, I'm probably have to cut out, like, 40 minutes of this already. It just, oh, of, I don't know about 40 minutes. Oh, well, there's at least 10 minutes, and then there's um, probably oh, yeah. some stuff that would be best to cut out so that way it would be a little more seamless, you know, things like that. Yeah, I don't know if everybody... I don't know if everybody wants to listen to however long we've just been grabbing on. <laughs> I still have to be 
Well, um, I would say at this point we can probably find an hour of material in all of that, wouldn't you, Swindle? <laughs> maybe, perhaps. I like to say that. I thought you worked it out for you. Yeah, and I don't know. Are we gonna? Do we need to do some kind of exit thing for the podcast? Uh, like, you probably should, man, because there's going to be quite a bit of rambling. So I'm going to have to like pretty much cut. Like every single like main thing we did is probably going to be like twenty like twenty minute segments. Okay, I see. So anyway, whatever we decide to keep there, that was Mom's Basement podcast. Another episode come and gone, and um, yeah, all right. Any final words, Alex, Steve? Uh, thanks, thanks for the chat, guys. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, said. All right. Great, guys. Well, we'll talk again. Thanks. Bye.